Good evening, everyone. It's good to see each one that's gathered here this evening. Uh, my name is Reverend Armand Tomasian. Glad to see all that have gathered here, and especially to welcome the members and those that attend this congregation. This is a very special occasion tonight, and I don't need to underline that to you. It is a new chapter in the life of this congregation, and we're here to mark it in an orderly fashion with the ordination and installation of the man that you've called to be your preacher, the Reverend Logan Elder. And so, we're very glad you're here. Welcome visitors also. I'm the minister of our Greenville congregation, so I don't simply bring greetings. I have brought some of the congregation with me as well. So I'm very thankful to have those families and individuals that have made it from Greenville. We're here to rejoice with this congregation in what the Lord has done for you, and also to show that the one that you've called is one that we love dearly, both Logan and Amelia and little Obadiah, we love them dearly. This family means so much to us, and uh, we are sending him with our blessing, and also with our prayers that God would truly uh, anoint his servant and fill the family with the Spirit of God for this uh, calling that is upon their lives. So... It's great to be with you. I want to welcome those online also and trust that God will bless you, especially those from our own denomination, all our churches across North America, maybe some even farther afield. We're glad that you're with us tonight and joining us from uh, wherever you are this evening. Just before we move through our program, I want to uh, bring greetings. Some have sent uh, personal notes to Logan. I don't have those, but some uh, have brought uh, sent uh, certain greetings and their desire for them to be shared with you tonight. And these individuals, of course, will be known to many of you. The first comes from the Reverend David Mook, who was longtime minister in Phoenix. And so I just read this with you before we proceed. Uh, to the Reverend Logan Elder, I offer my hearty congratulations on reaching this momentous occasion in your life. It was my privilege to instruct you from time to time during your years of study at Geneva Reformed Seminary, and to become acquainted with your dear wife, and in more recent times, your son. May the Lord of the harvest bless in abundance your labors, to which he has called you in the harvest field. May the grace of the Holy Spirit rest upon you, especially in your preparations for the pulpit and your proclamation of the Holy Scriptures. May your sense of the burden of the gospel ministry deepen over time, so that you will feel the compulsion that the inspired apostle felt when he wrote, Necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. In your service for Christ, may it always be your calling to look unto Jesus. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Hebrews 13, Verses 12 and 13, and that's the Reverend David Mook. Then there's another one that comes here. I have it on my phone here. It's an email that came from the Reverend Reggie Cranston. And again, well known to this congregation, and it's significant that he would write on this occasion as well. So I wish to read this also. Dear Reverend Elder, sorry I could not be with you tonight for this very special event in your life as a minister of the gospel of Christ. I want to say on behalf of Doreen and I and our congregation here in Port Hope, congratulations on being called 
and tonight being installed as a minister of Orlando Free Presbyterian Church. We will be praying for you tonight and for you and your family as you settle into your new surroundings. May you know much of the Lord's blessing upon your ministry there in the Sunshine State. And may the Lord bless you with much spiritual fruit week by week as you seek to lift up Christ. The Lord has called you to a good and steadfast congregation who faithfully stayed by the stuff when they were without a minister for quite a number of years. Once again, brother, may you be conscious of the Lord's presence tonight and the power of the Holy Spirit in your preaching throughout the days that are before you. Every blessing in Christ. Reggie Cranston, John 12, 32. And we add again our own words of uh, encouragement to this congregation. It has been a long time, and over the course of that time, you've also gotten to know the Reverend Ryan McKee. He also sends his greetings to the congregation tonight and to the Reverend Elder on this occasion. So those are the greetings for this evening. We want to rejoice in the Lord also, and so we begin by turning to him 610, 610, and we want to, when we hear the music, stand together and sing with all of our hearts each of the stanzas of 610, How Firm a Foundation.
As I mentioned, there are quite a few from Greenville, and I'm very glad that they're here. But among the number is one of our elders, uh, Mr. Stephen Lee. I'm going to invite him to come now and uh, open our meeting in prayer. Come on, brother. It's a pray, but I can't think of a better way to start my prayer than just reading a verse from Second Chronicles. This is from Solomon's own great prayer. Moreover, concerning the stranger which is not of thy people Israel, but is come from a far country, for thy great name's sake and thy mighty hand, and thy stretched out arm, if they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee, as doth thy people Israel, and may know that this house which I have built is called by, by thy name. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are here to echo the words of the great prayer of King Solomon. And we have great expectation. This is, as well, a house that is called by thy name. And the prayer of Solomon was that if any offer up a prayer, then hear thou from the heavens and do. And Lord, I pray, I pray that this house would be known in this community and far beyond as a preaching house, yes, as a house where God's people gather together faithfully, yes. But Lord, I pray that this house would have a reputation as a house of prayer. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up from this house prayer warriors that would do spiritual battle in this day, that the earth may know that God's name is in this house. And Lord, that sounds like a big request. And the devil, we know, would love for us just to have very low expectations. He would love for us to just to think, well, we'll just do the best we can, and it'll just be the most minimal. But Lord, I pray that we would not live under the cloud of such unbelief. But Lord, this is your house. Your name is here. This is, we are your people. Our God has not changed. He is still the God of great things. And I pray, Lord, that you would so enliven our faith so that this house, we identify this house 
as a place where God will do his greatest works. I pray that you would save sinners in this house. I pray, Lord, that you would restore backsliders in this house. I pray that you would revive your people in this house. I pray, Lord, that you would raise a generation of prayer warriors in this house. Lord, and I pray that you would be with the minister of this house. We do pray for our brother Logan. We're thankful for him. I thank thee, Lord, personally, just for all the, the precious times of prayer that we shared together there in Greenville. Just the most wonderful things that I wouldn't trade for. And Lord, I pray that that spirit would be multiplied tenfold in this very sanctuary where he would gather with your people in these very pews and they would have the have the faith and the and the zeal and the earnestness and the burden to call upon the Lord in this very house Lord I pray that you would do a great work here and Lord this is a very happy occasion and we're we're so excited and Humanly speaking, Lord, this is a, a great day and filled with all sorts of um, excitement and anticipation. But Lord, we know that even, even with any human wedding, those wedding moments are often the great times. But the real challenge comes down the road when that wedding becomes a marriage of two individuals year after year decade after decade. And so, Lord, yes, we pray for your blessing upon this service. But more than that, Lord, we look down the, the, the years to come with all of its challenges and all of its heartaches and the, the, and the joys and the blessings. Lord, a whole life will be experienced here within these four walls. And I just pray, Lord, that your blessing would rest upon our brother Logan as he seeks to minister the word of God from this pulpit to your people and far beyond these walls. And Lord, I just pray that you would fill him with your spirit, give him all of the equipment, the spiritual equipment that he needs to do the job here. Lord, in and of himself, he can't do it. In the flesh, he doesn't have the power, the skills, the experience to do the job. But Lord, you can fill him yes. and you can empower him and you can give him all of the, the grace that he needs to minister the word of God. And we pray for that. We pray for a long ministry here. Yes. We pray, Lord, that this church will go from strength to strength here. And I pray that they would move forward in faith. And Lord, I pray that we would not be unmindful to pray for him. Uh, those of us that are from other places, I pray that we would look on this work with great interest and with great love and great anticipation that we wouldn't leave our brother just to slog it out here on his own but lord that we would all come around him in spirit and in prayer and we would be praying for him we love him in the lord and we pray lord that you would protect him his family his own spirit his soul his 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 child his wife, Lord, and, and the congregation here, Lord. We realize that a day like this, the devil has, has his sights set. And we pray against him and all of his devices. 
We pray, Lord, that the kingdom of God would advance from this place outward. We just pray, Lord. Hear from heaven, even as Solomon prayed. And do, Lord, do according to thy will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Stephen. Well, before we come to our next piece of praise, there are two other items. Um, brethren, one from Toronto, the other from Trinity, Alabama. And so, bringing greetings from the presbytery, just to underline, the meeting tonight isn't so much a church meeting as it is a presbytery meeting. And so, the Reverend Larry Saunders is going to come and bring greetings from the presbytery on behalf of that body. And then immediately following, if our brother, Reverend Mooney, will follow with the scripture reading for this evening. So, Dr. Saunders, wherever you are, brother. Oh, there you are. Thank you. <laughs> well, what a blessing it is to share in a very special night tonight, and especially because of uh, our brother Logan and his being installed, ordained tonight to the gospel ministry. As I come to stand behind this pulpit, it was a few years ago when I came here just to preach and to fill in when they were without a full-time pastor. And uh, uh, Brother Walters will know this very well. I came into the church and they were uh, there was blood all around the front of the pulpit here. And there was a carcass that was still stuck under the pulpit. Uh, a possum got in <laughs> up through the... And it fell down through the tiles and when nobody was in the church. And uh, of course, it... When, when the, they came into the church, this thing was hissing at them when they, she came around the front. I think Mrs. Walker was cleaning or something. So that was my uh, last memory here. It, that was, I shouldn't say it was the last memory, but it was, uh, it was one of a moment, uh, memorable one. But much more the fellowship of the people in the congregation here because of the warmth and the joy. Uh, it's, I'm, we, we are so thankful for you, and especially because of the uh, milestone that it is tonight in the congregation. And I think that as I have the joy and the privilege of bringing greetings from our presbytery and all of our churches, it is an honor to share. I know that many of our men would love to have been here and our elders tonight. It's just not possible. It's not feasible for that to take place. And yet I come to bring the joy and the heart and the prayers from all of our men and all of our churches together, our elders, our deacons, our congregations, and it is a real uh, honor to do that. The Free Church is uh, a small denomination in North America, relatively speaking, and yet there is a heart and a desire and a joy to see a work going on and to see a young man come to a pulpit, and especially in this sense because our brother is an answer to prayer. We have been seeking the Lord for young men to come from our churches through our seminary and to know the call of God into gospel ministry. And when we see this taking place, it gives us all thanksgiving, and we lift our hearts and our praise to God for what he has done and what he is doing. And so, brother, tonight we want to express to you and your dear wife and family and the entire congregation our thanksgiving to God. And uh, please accept our sincere and earnest greetings from all of our churches and from all the uh, presbyters 
that cannot be here tonight. And I also have the opportunity of sharing with you a personal sense of, of greeting and from our church in Toronto. And so let me read just something from our elders and deacons. Dear Brother Elder, it is with great joy that I write to you on behalf of our elders, deacons, and congregation to congratulate you on this milestone in your ministry. We thank the Lord for your salvation and the call into the gospel ministry and pray that you will know the joy, peace, and fullness of the Holy Spirit in your work. We pray that as you preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that his name will be magnified in your life and service, and that God will pour out his mighty blessing in the salvation of souls and the building up of the saints. In these days of compromise and the lowering standards of truth, may God strengthen your resolve to stand for his word and in all things to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So we pray much for you, brother, that the Lord's hand would continue to be upon you and the congregation here. I do bring you greetings from the Trinity Free Presbyterian Church this evening in Trinity, Alabama. And I am very thankful for the opportunity to be here and to congratulate our brother Logan. And we have grown to love brother Logan. He has been with us uh, sometimes in Trinity. And the people really took on to brother Logan there. And we want you to know that you're uh, held up in prayer all of you regularly there and we do rejoice in the privilege to be here and share in the service tonight and uh, we were thankful that uh, our brother dr pollock gave us an assignment here to read the scriptures because yesterday morning as we were preparing to leave the um, tornado was coming right toward our farm and uh, we're very thankful that as we were trying to get away at nine o'clock because I thought if we got away at nine o'clock we would be able to beat the tornado that was going to be going toward Birmingham uh, a couple of hours later and so um, the one that came and uh, took out one of our beautiful cedar trees in the pasture actually turned our power off so we're groping around in the darkness trying to get the last things into the car and we actually were about 10 or 15 minutes late and we drove out of there and we saw fallen trees in the road and power poles down all the destruction that was, it was pretty wide and uh, thankfully it didn't get our meeting house this time and we we're very thankful for the Lord bringing us here for this occasion because we got below Birmingham and the other one was coming through. I was talking to a minister on the phone that I preached for there and he was watching a radar and my wife was watching a radar. Oh yes, we do have someone else from our church here, my wife. And so uh, she was watching on her cell phone and uh, you know, they saw all of it on the radar and I said, brother, is it safe for us to go ahead? And he said, you can make it. Keep going. You'll barely make it. And so as we uh, got almost clear of it, I saw these little twigs flying. 
And uh, then the hail started hitting the car. I said, Lord, are we going home now? But I was so thankful we had a job to do here tonight. So praise God <laughs> we're here. And um, we thank God for his mercy. So we trust God will bless his word, the word that God put on our brother Logan's heart some time ago. Exodus chapter 4, reading there, beginning at verse 10. Let us hear God's word. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf, or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be even... He shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Amen. We end our reading there at verse 17. And we trust that the Lord will bless his word and bless our brother in this congregation in the coming days. Thank you, brethren. We're going to sing 342. 342. Uh, Mr. Lee prayed that the Reverend Logan Elder would have a, a long ministry here. Well, the one that penned this poem uh, did not have a long ministry, so we are trusting that the Lord will be pleased to give many more years than uh, Robert Murray McShane enjoyed. But he left a legacy, and part of that is found in these words. So once again, we'll stand when we hear the music, think, sing all the stanzas of 342.
You may be seated. Very glad that uh, when that possum came to candidate for the ministry here, that you didn't call him. Instead, you waited, and you waited on the Lord, and we trust that you have a much more uh, adept one to come and bring you the word. And given that that is the case, and he has passed all the various aspects of preparation required of him by the presbytery, we come to the point where the questions are going to be put to him. Our clerk, uh, Dr. Stephen Pollock, is going to come and guide us through that aspect and lead us in that way. And I'll just say immediately following that, uh, we'll ask our moderator, Reverend Jeff Bannister, to come for the ordination and installation prayer. So, Dr. Pollock, if you come, please. Thank you. Well, thank you, Reverend Tomasian, again for the invitation to this pulpit. Uh, it's a strange night. My task here, of course, is regards to presbytery. But, of course, the last number of years I've had the joy of serving as intermoderator of the church here, and that's been a tremendous privilege and joy. It's, uh, it's just mixed emotions in many ways. Uh, my work here changes. I still have the joy of being I have an elder senior minister going forward, so the Orlando folks, you don't get rid of me quite yet. Um, but I'll change, different dynamics. Uh, but it is a tremendous joy to be here and be part of this, of this occasion. And before I invite our brother up, can I just uh, say a couple of words as interim moderator, and that really is to uh, just commend the congregation here. Our brother Cranston made reference to the concept of staying with the stuff. Well, you've stayed with the stuff it has been an interesting few years. I first came here in 2000, not as intermoderator, but as a visitor, 22 years ago, first time in this, this building. And uh, I didn't expect then it would have the place in my life that it began to assume, uh, more than that, in my, in my heart. And this church and the church in Malvern have been very closely knit in the last number of years, uh, particularly in light of the pandemic and the events surrounding that, that caused challenges. Uh, we do acknowledge, again, this congregation did call Reverend Laverty uh, to come and labor in the ministry here, and God closed that door because the Lord had a different person planned for the pulpit here. And tonight gives testimony to that fact. But that was not an easy time. Those were tumultuous times. There was great hope and anticipation and then that did not was not realized, and yet you stuck with the stuff. You consistently persisted in doing what was right. And so I commend again our brother uh, Walters, and of course our late brother Walker, for their faithfulness in the work of eldership here. Commend them for their labors, our brother Thomas, again for all of his work as a deacon in the, in the work here, and for you members for faithfully supporting the work in prayer and financially over these challenging years. The Lord has answered your prayers, and we rejoice in that very, very greatly. But this is a, a solemn occasion, and so, brother, come to the pulpit now. And this is a presbytery meeting, as has been said already. And uh, our brother is being ordained as a minister under our presbytery. That car responsibilities. He is under the obligation of our presbytery regarding his conduct, his doctrine, and practice. Um, but it also brings with it the assurance of the prayers of your brothers. And um, we're here as a, 
as a fellowship of the saints, as a communion of brothers laboring in ministry. Um, but part of the procedures for ordination involves him again answering some of these questions. He answered those questions in his licensing, and he'll now come to do so with regards to his ordination at this time. Reverend Elder, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the verbally inspired word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. And do you confess the Lord Jehovah as one God in the Trinity of his eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Saviour and Lord? I do. And do you sincerely receive and believe the confession and constitution of this church as containing the system of doctrine and polity taught in the word of God. I do. And are you firmly resolved through divine grace to adhere to the doctrine contained in these substandards and teach and defend it to the utmost of your power against all error? I am. The following are distinctive positions of doctrine and practice of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. A. The Christ-centred exposition of the Reformed faith with a strong commitment to evangelism. B. The centrality and all-sufficiency of the person and work of Christ in the preaching of the gospel. C. The doctrine of God's free justification of sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in the merits of Christ alone. D. Separation from the apostasy of the ecumenical movement. Opposition to false charismatism and steadfast adherence to the historic Reformed and Protestant faith. E. The personal separation of believers from worldliness in holiness unto the Lord. F. The necessity of giving ourselves to earnest prayer for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power to make our service effective and glorifying to God and for genuine revival in our day. Do you sincerely embrace and will you faithfully maintain these distinctive positions? I do, and I will. Are you now willing to assume the responsibilities of a minister in this denomination, engaging to conduct yourself with exemplary piety, and to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all personal and private duties that become you as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, as well as in all the duties that pertain to your particular responsibilities? Reverend Elder, having answered those questions in the affirmative, will now sign as a confession of his own faith the substandards of our denomination under this heading. I believe the confessional substandards of this church to be founded on and agreeable to the word of God. And as such, I subscribe them as a confession of my own faith. Mr. Moderator, Reverend Elder, having answered the questions and signed uh, the substandards as a statement of his own faith, is now ready for ordination. Very good. I'll ask Reverend Elder if you would come to the front down here, and I will invite the members of Presbytery who are on hand now to lay hands on our brother. So, elders, ministers, 
Well, they'd all come join us. And Logan, you can just kneel down there. I think that might be appropriate for you. Yes, and we'll invite the congregation please to stand. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great King and only Head of the Church, we, the Presbytery of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, according to the authority that Christ has vested in His Church for His edification and government, do hereby ordain you, Logan Elder, to the ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, and installed you as the minister of the Orlando Free Presbyterian Church, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are happy for this joyous occasion. We thank Thee, Lord, for Thy grace. We thank Thee, Lord, that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We thank Thee, Lord, for Thy grace upon Logan Elder and his wife. We thank Thee, Lord, that in Thy good providence Thou didst lead them to faith free and to our denominations. I still remember the story he's told of passing by the church and seeing the sign on our seminary, Geneva Reformed Seminary. And Lord, you led him to check out that church and you led him to become a part of that church. We thank thee, Lord, for the training thou hast supplied to our brother and for his diligent efforts in that training to ground himself in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank thee, Lord, for what has clearly been the evident progress in our brother's life. We thank Thee that we have seen him grow in grace and in the knowledge of his Savior, Jesus Christ. And Thou hast called him now into the ministry and opened this door for him. O oh Lord, we do pray for our brother Logan. May Thy hand be upon him for good. We ask, O oh Lord, that as we are laying hands on our brother now, we pray that he would know the touch of Christ upon his yes. life at all times. We pray that thou wilt guide him, dear God, day by day. May he be much devoted to the study of thy word. May he be much devoted to prayer. We ask that you'll bless his ministry to his family as he leads his wife and as he instructs his son Obadiah. Lord, we would ask even for Obadiah that he may gain an early saving knowledge in thee and grow up, O Lord, to bring much honor and glory to thy name. And then, Lord, bless our brother in his pulpit ministry. May he know unction from on high each time he steps behind the sacred desk. We ask, O Lord, that thou wilt send forth thy word with power. Make him the vessel through which thy blessings flow to thy people. Make him an instrument for leading many to Christ. Grant, dear God, that through this ministry, this church will be built up and will bring much honor and glory to Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that you'll give him great wisdom and discernment for these days. 
For we know, Lord, that these are dark days. We know that uh, the workings of the devil can be sometimes flagrant and sometimes subtle. We ask, Lord, that you'll give our brother the discernment to know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error, and that thou wilt help him to lead this congregation forward. So, Lord, hear our prayers this evening. We are grateful for thy good hand upon this church and upon this man and his family. We ask, O oh Lord, that thou wilt be near to our brother in the coming days. We commit him to thee. We commit his family to thee. Lord, uh, shield him with thy love. May he sense at all times that underneath him are the everlasting arms. And we ask, dear God, that he would bring great honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Since you're all standing, take your hymnal. Just before we sing, it's uh, 569. It's a hymn of, of the seminary and a worthy prayer, not just for the Reverend Elder, but for all of us as believers. 569, and you know, it's just very encouraging to come to this point and to, to see the Lord lead you. To this point, it's been a blessing. Been a minister of faith for four years now, and obviously, uh, Reverend Elder and his wife have been key in the congregation all through that time, both uh, leading the youth of the congregation there, as well as even his place as a deacon, also for the last two and a half years or so. So, you've now uh, come to new responsibilities. And the Lord will bless you just as he's blessed you before. So we, uh, we trust the Lord will give much power and help. 569, let's sing again all the stanzas. Lord, grant my yearning heart's desire.
again our moderator to come forward and to bring to us the charge to the minister and to the congregation so you don't get to nap not that you would but there is a word for one and all brother come and bring us the word please well thank you Armin and let me take this opportunity uh, also to bring you greetings from Indianapolis um, this does not mark my first time in your church either, though it has been some time, but I have had the privilege of being here for pulpit supply, uh, like others. Uh, thankfully, I have no memory of possums, and uh, don't appear to be any down here now either, so we're off to a good start. But uh, we have been in prayer for you in Indianapolis, and we are rejoicing with you on this happy occasion and we look forward in the days ahead to great things that the Lord will do in and through his servant and in this church. I would invite you to turn with me this evening to Romans chapter 1, if you would. I want to read a section from Romans 1, and then I want to read some verses also from Romans chapter 15, if you would care to mark that spot. So Romans chapter 1 will begin at the very beginning of this epistle, and with God's word open before us, let's seek the Lord in prayer. O Lord, we do ask of thee now that we may hear from thee as we consider thy word. May it not be so much the voice of a preacher that's discerned as it is the still small voice of thy spirit bearing witness to thy truth, and making the application to every heart. We ask, O Lord, that thou wilt especially bless thy word to our brother Logan, who now has been ordained. And we pray, O Lord, that he may rise to the charge, so to speak, that comes from thy word. Take me up, O Lord, make me a vessel fit for thy use, to that end, I plead the blood of Christ over my life and ask of thee, Lord, based on the merits of Christ's life and death, that thou wilt grant me strength of heart and mind, clarity of thought and speech, but especially unction from on high. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 1, we begin in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making requests if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then if you would look with me in chapter 15. Near the end of the letter. And I want to pick up the reading here in verse 23. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company." But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things." When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ.
Amen. We'll end our reading in verse 29. We know that the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. I want to call your attention in particular to the last verse from our reading, verse 29 in Romans chapter 15, where Paul says, And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Even though Paul had never been to Rome at the writing of this epistle, he did have a strong desire to visit there. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, he writes back in chapter 1, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He expresses his desire to visit them. He had not visited them at that time. This desire is also expressed again near the end of the letter, and that's why we read from chapter 15. So we read in chapter 15, verse 23, But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. What I want to call your attention to now, however, is that in verse 29 of chapter 15, Paul expresses not merely his desire to come to them, but he also expresses, and expresses it confidently, the manner in which he would come to them when that occasion did come. Listen to it again. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Underscore that phrase, the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Whenever I've had occasion in my own church to make reference to this verse, I've told the people in my congregation more than once to either write my name or write my initials in the margin next to that verse so that whenever they read it, they will remember to pray for me in connection with that verse. For you folks that make this church in Orlando your church, you would do well to write the name or the initials of your pastor in the margin next to that verse. I dare say that this is what every minister of the gospel should want for his ministry, and this is what the people of God should want from their pastor. It is certainly my hope and prayer today and in the days and weeks ahead that Logan Elder would come to you this way, that each time he steps into the pulpit of Orlando Free Presbyterian Church or any other church for that matter that he may have occasion to preach in, that he may do so in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And so today, for just a couple of moments, as I have the privilege, and it is a privilege and an honor, to bring this charge to Reverend Elder and to the congregation in Orlando, I want to consider this statement by Paul, 
and what it will take for Logan and for this congregation to rise to the standard that's presented in this text. We'll see in the course of this study that we all have a part to play when it comes to rising to this standard. So listen again to the words of the text, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Let's think first of all this evening on the meaning of this fullness. I shall come unto you in the fullness of the blessing, Paul says. Can I ask you a question this evening? Something you do well to contemplate often? The question is simply this. How blessed are you? How blessed are you? What all do you have in Christ? What has salvation done for you and done through you? What has salvation brought to you? What are your long-term prospects for the future? And by future, I mean your after-this-life future. And I mean your after-this-world future. Truth told, you are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And those blessings include such things as God's sovereign choice of you. They include the prospects of being holy and without blame before him in love, Ephesians 1, 4. Can you even begin to fathom that? You, poor, vile, guilty, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner, being in the presence of he who is altogether holy, and you've been accepted of him. You've been adopted into his family having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Every time I have occasion to think on the Lord's Prayer, especially the way that that, that prayer opens, Our Father, which art in heaven, it is worth noting every time you come across that text, it cost Christ his lifeblood for you to be able to pray that way and to call God your father. You've been adopted into his family. And the point that I'm looking to drive home now is that you are abundantly blessed. This is some of the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. He has made you accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. You find those words easy to gloss over? Think about that for a moment. He accepts you. No matter who else doesn't accept you, he does. And what's more, as followers of Christ, nothing will ever, ever separate you from his love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. So again, I ask you the question, how blessed are you this evening? His blessings include the forgiveness of all thine iniquities, Psalm 103, 
who healeth thee of all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. And the thing that I love about that catalog of blessings that are found in Psalm 103 is the emphasis on the word all. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Not a one is left out. And then there's the blessing of Christ himself. And the word was made flesh, John writes in the first chapter of his gospel, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Or more literally, if memory serves me right, grace upon grace. Because Christ is with us, and Christ is for us, and we belong to him, and we're joined in union to him, we have received the fullness of his grace. Grace and peace are multiplied to us. Dr. Cairns used to say it this way, when God gave us his son, he gave us the greatest blessing that heaven possessed. If God would give us all the gold in the world and all the material things of this world that carnal souls try to accumulate to themselves, if God gave us all these things, they would amount to nothing in the comparison to what he's already given us in the person of his son. I try to mention this often in our prayer meetings in Indianapolis. I remind folks that all the things that we seek God for in the place of prayer, the salvation of souls, the reviving of his church, the advancement of his kingdom, all very legitimate things, but as we seek God in prayer for these very legitimate things, we should never lose sight of the fact that everything we seek him for does not come close to comparing to what he's already given us. Because he's given us his son. I remember at my own ordination more than 20 years ago now, when it was my turn to address the congregation, and brother, your turn's coming. I said to the people that were there in attendance that I considered it one of the primary objectives of my pulpit ministry to convince the followers of Christ that they're bountifully blessed. And Reverend Elder, I would charge you this day with that same task of driving the point home that Christians to whom you minister, they're going to need to be convinced of this again and again, that they are a blessed people. I'm afraid it's a sad mark of our depravity that we have a tendency to doubt it. When we cave in to the temptation of walking by sight rather than walking by faith, when we have a tendency to gauge the love of God by the circumstances around us, 
then we have a tendency to forget how blessed we are. Your task as a minister of the gospel is going to be to enumerate these blessings to the people of God. And you'll need to remind them, and they should be reminded, that their blessings are very expensive blessings. They cost Christ his lifeblood to purchase. And you need to remind them that they are unworthy of the blessings that God freely bestows in Christ. And you need to preach to them the basis for their blessings so that they can have confidence in those blessings. They are based not on any merit that we possess, but they're based solely on the merits of Christ's life and Christ's death. And they need to have that hammered home into their hearts time and again so that their assurance stays strong. You have the task of making sure they understand the nature of their blessings and that they understand the nature of Christ himself so they might know and appreciate how uh, great was his condescension in leaving heaven's glory to come into this world to save us. And after you've preached on all these topics, you need something more if the people to whom you minister are going to know the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. In order to know the fullness of their blessings, you see, they're going to need the Holy Spirit to minister the truth and the reality of those blessings to their hearts. And this can only happen in answer to prayer. You don't have the power to make them know reality. I don't know who it was I read some time ago, but some theologian of uh, some while back said that the Holy Spirit is the author of spiritual reality. Oh my, how we need him then. How we need him in order that these glorious blessings and these truths that we affirm are, are not merely a part of a creed that we give assent to, but we know the truth and reality of them in our hearts. Paul prays for the saints at Ephesus that they would know in the depth of their hearts the truth of their blessings. You could summarize Paul's prayers in Ephesians. There are two of them, one in chapter 1 and another in chapter 3. You could summarize those by saying that these basically are prayers for spiritual illumination. And what spiritual illumination amounts to is that the knowledge of the truth in our heads be brought home to our hearts. And that's why I say that is something that only the Holy Spirit can do. Depth of knowledge in theology can't create that. Skillful homiletics cannot create that. That is the work of the Spirit. And isn't it good that we know what the work of the Spirit is? There are those, you know, that attribute all sorts of funny things, strange things, mystical things that we think we need the Holy Spirit for. And, of course, we disavow those things. We have nothing to do with them. But never forget, there is a ministry of the Spirit that we do need. And it is that he would bridge the gulf between our heads and our hearts by empowering his word. And how does that happen? It happens in answer to prayer. 
That's why Paul prayed for the saints at Ephesus. That's why God inspired and preserved that prayer, those prayers, so we would make them our own. Listen to how he prays. Let me just give you a sampling of it, even though you're probably familiar with it. In Ephesians 3, 16, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Stop there a moment and think about that. This is a prayer for you to know something that is beyond knowing. That's what Paul says. You'll never exhaust it. You'll never comprehend it entirely. And then he goes on to say, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. When you look at that prayer in Ephesians 3, it's tempting to look at it and say, boy, what a high ideal that Paul is putting before Christians. Actually, Paul didn't see it as a high ideal at all. You might argue that he saw it as the minimum. For it's in that connection that he says, God is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all these things that he's just elaborated, and above all that we can ask or think. So when you yourself and the people to whom you minister are filled with all the fullness of God, then you will have arrived at the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So that is something of the meaning of the fullness that we're considering just now. Let's move on to consider, secondly, the need for this fullness. The need for this fullness. I said in my opening remarks, Paul had never been to Rome at the time he wrote this epistle to the Romans. The fact that he had never been to Rome, however, didn't mean that he didn't know anything about the Christians to whom he wrote. In fact, the Christians he wrote to had established for themselves a worldwide reputation for their faith in Christ. Listen to what he writes in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, okay, here's the matter of priority now in Paul's dealing with the saints at Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You see what I mean by a worldwide reputation for their faith? Keep that in mind now. Paul is writing to Christians, and not just to any Christians, but to Christians of a very high spiritual caliber. They had a worldwide reputation for their faith. And then Paul says in verse 15, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He's ready to preach the gospel to them. It makes for an interesting question to ponder. Why would Paul be ready to preach the gospel to those at Rome? Weren't they already Christians? 
Didn't he just say that they have a worldwide reputation for their faith? We have a tendency, don't we, to sometimes separate the word of God into two separate categories. There's the gospel, which is preached to lead souls to Christ, and then there's the whole counsel of God that we preach once the gospel has served its purpose and souls have come to Christ. Paul doesn't make that kind of distinction here, does he? He says that he's ready to preach the gospel to those who had already benefited by the gospel and had gained a saving interest in Christ. Why would that be necessary, seeing they had already gained a saving interest in Jesus Christ? And the answer is really very simple. Christians still need the gospel even after they've gained a saving interest in Christ. The gospel is essential for your growth in grace. It's as the truth of Christ and his salvation fills and thrills your soul that you'll find the fire of devotion ignited in your heart and fanned to a blaze. And in that fire of devotion, you'll be motivated to humble praise and thanksgiving, as well as a desire to obey and to strive to be holy as Christ himself is holy. It's my privilege and duty, therefore, to charge you, Reverend Elder, to preach the gospel to your people so they'll grow in grace and in the knowledge of their Savior, Jesus Christ. You must continue to explore the depths yourself. I know you've gone through the course. You've applied yourself to your seminary studies. You were a student for a number of years. Let me remind you, that never ceases for a minister. You are a full-time student still when it comes to exploring the unsearchable riches of Christ so that you can minister those truths to your people. There's another reason that Christians need the continual ministry of the gospel, and it's because we continue to sin. We know it, don't we? Don't make a liar out of God by denying it. That's what John says you'll do if you deny that you have sin. You'll make a liar out of God. We all have sin still. We all have a struggle that we're engaged in. Paul elaborates on this truth in great detail in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, 
And could I pause here just long enough to state that this, perhaps more than anything, convinces me that this pertains to Christians. Some debate the interpretation of Romans 7 in that regard. No, the unsaved sinner does not delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, it's going to be your task to recognize that there are people under your ministry that are wretched on account of this battle with sin. And because of this ongoing battle with sin, it will be necessary, Logan, for you to preach hard against sin, expose it and condemn it and warn your people about it, but then do the very thing that Paul does. He shows them how to gain the victory over sin. After describing this intense inner struggle that makes him wretched, he then goes on to preach the solution which is found in the gospel of Christ. Sometimes the chapter divisions in our New Testaments can be a little distracting to us. Keep in mind, therefore, that it's in the context of this internal struggle on the part of Paul, a struggle that makes him a wretched man, that he goes on to say just a couple of verses later, here is the solution to the dilemma. Here is where we begin to gain the victory now. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. No condemnation. That's where the victory starts. I, I, I'm honest enough to acknowledge this struggle with sin. And as I endeavor to gain the victory, here is where the ministry of the gospel is essential. No condemnation. And I might add here, and if you go back and read these verses again, I won't do it now. But uh, call to mind what Paul has said twice so that it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, Paul's not excusing himself on that basis. You know, be easy. That's not me, okay? No, uh, yeah, that sin came from me, but that's not me. Uh, I'm not responsible. No, actually you are, and, and Paul was, but what he is demonstrating to us in those words is he does not identify with that. Oh, I committed that sin and I hate it. And I hate myself for it. Here is where the victory begins and no condemnation and no identification with sin. The reason there's no condemnation is because there's already been condemnation. Christ was condemned in your place. Christ was the propitiation for your sins. And oh, how that needs to be preached to your people. So you no longer identify with sin. You don't deny its presence, but neither do you identify with it. You identify with Christ instead. I think Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, it's always struck me as the essence of gospel obedience. And here, Logan, is what you must charge your congregation to do. In the words of Romans 6, 11, 
Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Count it to be so. That's the same word in Greek. Reckon, impute, count it to be so. Count yourself dead to sin. Now, it's important to understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that you pretend that you're dead to sin, even when you can tell that sin is still a force in your life. No, you count it to be so because there is a basis for it to be so. You can count yourself to be dead to sin because Christ died to sin once and you're joined to him. So positionally speaking, yes, I'm dead to sin because I'm joined to Christ. And you can count yourself to be alive unto God, not because you feel so spiritual on any given day. No, but because Christ lives unto God and you're joined to him. These are all aspects of the gospel that need to be covered in your ministry of the word. So we've seen something of the meaning of the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. We've seen something of the need for that fullness. Let me say a word finally and briefly about the confidence of this fullness. You'll notice from our text that Paul was very confident that when he did at last visit the Christians in Rome, he would come to them in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. So we read his words, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. What made him so sure of that? Surely it wasn't because he was so confident that he was a gifted speaker. In fact, uh, evidence seemed to suggest that he wasn't particularly gifted, especially in comparison to others who were. And surely it wasn't because he was confident that he was a scholarly theologian. I think we could say that part of his confidence was traceable to how certain he was about Christ. He knew who Christ was. He knew what Christ had accomplished. He was sure that Christ was risen from the dead. One of the first books I ever preached through when I became pastor of the church in Indianapolis was the book of Acts. I did so very deliberately. Everybody wants to be like the church in the book of Acts. The charismatics, they want to be like that. I suppose liberals, they want to be like that. We want to be like that like the church in the book of Acts. And one of the things I pointed out time and again from that book was that the power that those early Christians experienced was not so much traceable to their brilliant and in-depth knowledge of theology so much as it was their simple confidence in the truth that Christ really was risen from the dead. They knew that he was risen and they were so sure of it that you could scatter them, you could imprison them, you could execute them, but you couldn't shut them up because they knew that Christ was risen from the dead. 
It was not a part of speculation or an empty creed that they simply professed. No, they knew that Christ was risen from the dead. Paul certainly knew it. He met the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. But there's another factor contributing to Paul's confidence, which I think brings the matter to the church here in Orlando. After expressing his confidence, notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 30, chapter 15. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Oh, there's where confidence comes. I think it's fair to say that Paul's confidence in coming to Rome in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ was based on his confidence in prayer. And not just his own prayers, but the prayers of others for him. Could I suggest to the congregation here in Orlando that your pastor's confidence for coming to you in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ has to spring from his confidence that you are a praying people and that you're praying for him. He'll need your prayers. The fullness of the blessing does not come automatically. I can remember times in the study when I'm dragging my eyes over God's word, I'm in search of a sermon, and it's nothing but a forced effort. I've got nothing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some truth grips my soul, and I take it and I think upon it, and all of a sudden, you know, within the next couple of moments, I'm, my, my soul is bombarded with various aspects of this text that need to be proclaimed, and I pause and I say, Oh, Lord, I thank you for the prayers of thy people. I can tell they're praying for me even now. It can and will, the blessing that is, it can and will come only as the people of God seek it earnestly in prayer. And how confident you folks should be these days in your praying. Oh, the Lord is born long with you in your praying. Could I remind you that he does that very deliberately, according to the Gospel of Luke? But now at long last, the answer has come, and God has raised up a man to be the under-shepherd of this church. Oh, pray for your pastor, pray for him fervently, pray for him consistently, and not only pray for him, but pray with him. And in so doing, you can expect that as he comes Lord's day by Lord's day, he will come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I conclude sort of where I started. Write his name or his initials in the margin outside of this text. And remember to pray for him and expect that in answer to prayer, he will come to you week by week in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Bonister. It's, uh, you've called him on just 
flesh and blood, and he needs your prayers. And you have every reason, as was mentioned, to believe God will bless you. Uh, you have prayed, and you have, to, you have to take the heart as a congregation. This is a distinct answer to prayer. And what does this mean? Has, it, has he sent us someone in order that the work might fall apart and crumble and go to nothing? Or has he sent us someone that we might be fed and strengthened and empowered both within ourselves and then in our impact to the local community and however God uses you in this area? It has to be the latter. It has to be the latter. And I, I just to speak a little personally, just for Reverend Elder's benefit and the rest of the congregation, when I arrived in Calgary, it was very similar. You know, there was about, oh, I don't know, just a handful of members, fewer members than here, and maybe about 20 folks that were in the church, and, you know, most of them senior. And you get up into that pulpit and you believe that God will bless his word, and he did. He did. Strengthen the work. The work was strengthened and went forward. So we believe the same here. So take the word to heart. And may every Lord's day be one in which there is evidence of the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. The victory has been purchased and so it shall be. We're going to uh, ask now the Reverend Elder to come and speak. And immediately following uh, your elder also, Mr. Ken Walters, to come and speak. So uh, we're, we're well on schedule. This is, we're going to be finished early tonight, going by ordination meetings. Certainly looking at how they go in Northern Ireland, I think mine was close to three hours. So you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm starting to weary. Oh, this is, this is early. This is early. Plenty of time yet. Reverend Elder, come and speak to his brother. Thank you. Well, it is my privilege and distinct honor uh, to now be ordained here in this congregation. I am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by the mercies of God. And I first and foremost, uh, I want to give thanks to many uh, before I give some other remarks, but I first and foremost want to thank the Lord, to thank God for all of you, for his mercies to each and every one of us in Jesus Christ, that he has brought us all together, that he has taken my life from the dunghill, that he has brought me out of darkness into light. He's taken me from the depths of sin and brought me here. And that is overwhelming to me. His name is wonderful. And his works are marvelous in our eyes. So I want to thank first and foremost the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our triune God. But I also want to thank, and I made a list so that I would not fail to thank anyone who needed to be thanked. And I perhaps may miss someone else, but uh, trust you'll forgive me. But having thanked the Lord, I also want to thank Reverend Bannister for that word. I want to thank you sincerely. Oh, praise the Lord. And thank you for, thank the Lord for giving him a word. Uh, spoke to my heart. And I trust it spoke to the congregation here and to all of you who have a pastor to pray for and a ministry in the Lord wherever you return to. I want to thank all the people in attendance 
thank the Lord for bringing you here, giving you safety, the congregation uh, that have come from Greenville and those who've come uh, from various places. Thank you for coming and supporting this work, being here for this occasion. I also want to thank uh, Dr. Stephen Pollock, and uh, thank you in the Lord's name. Uh, I know the people have greatly appreciated your ministry to them, and I thank the Lord for using you to oversee the work from afar. And then I want to thank the congregation here for warmly welcoming us. And even just in these past two weeks, we have felt much of the Lord's love through you in your prayers, in the prayer meetings, and on the Lord's Day. And we trust to see that sustained and continued and grown. We thank you for all the work you've done in preparing for tonight. And trust the Lord will bless us as we fellowship this evening. But having given thanks and, and said those remarks, I also, various things have come to my mind as I thought about what I would say to you all today. And I do have uh, prayer requests that I'll get to in just one moment. But I am very sobered that it is now my task to, as the Apostle Paul said, labor until Christ be formed in you. And I'm very humbled by that reality. And I feel the weight of that responsibility, though I know I don't feel it enough. And it is my prayer that now in the words of John the Baptist, that Christ would increase and I would decrease. That as I minister among you, I would be like that man was, someone who prepared the way for Jesus Christ and then got out of the way that people could, as the text behind me says, behold the Lamb of God. And that will be my prayer as we go forward here. But it is no mistake, I am fully convinced, it is no mistake that Reverend Bannister referenced Romans 15.30 in our first prayer meeting here a few weeks ago. That was the text the Lord impressed upon my heart to communicate to the people a personal plea for intense and united prayer. That is what the apostles doing there, and, and I am so thankful that the Lord impressed that upon Reverend Bannister. And so, as I've asked them to pray, I would ask all of you to pray, that even as you leave tonight, you will not forget to pray for us, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And I would ask you to pray for several things, please pray for power. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. For I am, as was pointed out, just a man. And I am weak. And we are all weak people. We are but flesh. And we need the Lord's power. I'd also ask you to pray for protection for me. That the Lord would keep me from enemies that will rise up and come against me. And that he'll give me discernment to see those enemies and to know how to deal with them as a, as a Christian man and as a minister of the gospel. And please, I pray, ask that you would also pray for the Lord to preserve me. That he would keep me from myself. We're our own worst enemies very often. And I feel that uh, even early on. I, I need the Lord to help me. And I need him to give me desires more and more to be like Christ 
and to lift him before you. And the last thing I would ask is that you pray for prosperity, for biblical prosperity, that the Lord would prosper our labors here. As he is the author of how that will look, uh, we still pray knowing that it will look like something. And we trust that it will look like people coming to know Christ. We trust that it will look like the people here being edified week by week and grown in unity and grace and knowledge in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I'd ask you please pray for us and keep us, keep us before the throne of grace. Thank you in the Lord's name. And thank you for those watching and supporting us from afar and all the ministers. Thank you for your prayers. I, I assure you, in my very, very short time these past few weeks, I have felt something of the reality of what Reverend Bannister referenced. The knowledge that people must be praying for me, for I received help. So, thank you in the Lord's name. Well, it's good to see everyone here. It's great to have such a crowd in the audience every time. I wish this was true right now. We, if you will just stay a while and spend the next few months down here, uh, we would appreciate it greatly. I want to expand on something that uh, Mr. Saunders said about the possum. Uh, it was in this pulpit, and... After that session that he had, uh, we called it the possum in the pulpit. But that wasn't the end of it. It wasn't but a week or so later, we had another one in there. <laughs> so we had a, a time getting that one out. Uh, it took all kind of maneuvering before we could get him out and make it uh, ready for someone to preach. But we do thank you for coming. I know that some of you came a, a far piece. Uh, some of the weather wasn't the most pleasant to drive in, but we thank you for coming. That is a great encouragement to this congregation, and I know it will be to our new pastor. And that is a tremendous thought to me that we have a pastor. It has been five and a half years since we had a pastor of our own. Now, we've had several men from Northern Ireland, Dr. Pollock has been down many times, and other men have come and preached. But to have our own pastor, it's been five and a half years. That is a long time to be without a pastor. And I know some of the churches in Canada and other places and other denominations have gone longer than that. But it is still very, very difficult when you don't have your own pastor. But we thank the Lord for that. Thank him for bringing him here. Uh, but it's just tremendous for this time that we have our own pastor. I would also like to thank our congregation. It is a small congregation, but I have found them to be very faithful in attending the services, and that means a lot when you can count on certain people. They're going to be there, Lord willing, unless they're ill, unless they're injured, out of town, they will be there. 
And our people were very faithful in that. And I thank the Lord for that. Also, I want to thank Dr. Pollock personally for taking the responsibility of being our interim moderator. He has done a tremendous job. Uh, his church has given him the freedom to come as he thought necessary. And there has been times that it was necessary for him to come. And we thank him for coming. I know that he's had to leave his congregation, had to leave his family, sometimes just for short times, two or three days, and then take another flight back to Philadelphia and then on to his home. And also, another problem that he's had, being interim moderator, that he has had to put up with some of my calls, and I've called him a many a time, and I thank him for that. But we do thank you for coming. It's been a great blessing to have you here. And I hope that you will not run off quickly because there are some desserts planned for you. We've got them ready. They're in the back. So uh, I've seen them. My wife made some of them, and I wanted them, but she wouldn't let me have them. But anyway, we hope that you'll stay. Fellowship with our people. Enjoy the time. And we give you all the thanks for your mercy, for coming. I know it was hard on many of you. Uh, I know that one that would desire to be here was Mr. and Mrs. Cranston. Uh, they could not because of Ill illness. There were a couple others from Greenville that had planned to come. Um, Mrs. Allison and her brother, Larry Killian. Mr. Killian was the man that when we bought the property many years ago here, this was a chinchilla farm, and it was just a, a building. No, and, but Mr. Killian drew the plans of what this church could look like. And we have a contractor that was very favorable to us, and he did the work, and we have been in this building for several years, probably 20, 20 21 years. It is great to have it. It's not what we would desire. We would desire to have a great big building full of people. But we don't have that yet. I say yet. Maybe the Lord will give that. But we do thank the Lord for all of you that coming. It was great for you. And we have certainly enjoyed this time. Glad to meet so many of you that I've known for a number of years. And especially, also I want to thank Mr. Lee for all the help in putting that up, sermon audio. That is great to have it. And I know that those that could not be here at least had the opportunity to watch on sermon audio. Thank you. Well, it is good to be here. I think if my calculation's right, there's... 30, 33, is it, or so, from Greenville that are here uh, for the occasion. And there'll be at least 20-something of us still here on the Lord's Day, so you'll not get rid of us just yet after the service tonight. Uh, you have, let me, just before we sing, uh, you have not just a, a young man that we trust and believe God will use in his ministry to you here, you also have uh, in his wife, uh, 
one that is an example to you as well. And while the evening seems to, and for obvious reasons, revolve around uh, Logan, uh, Amelia is an integral part to his work and ministry. Many years ago, uh, Melanie and I, my wife and I, gave our testimonies. Uh, we were at a meeting together, testifying. It was very early on in our uh, Christian experience. And uh, I shared my testimony, she shared her testimony. And some years later, I think I was close to being finished in my studies, a good many years later anyway, one of the elders in our church said that on that occasion, um, my wife was far more articulate and eloquent than, than I was. And uh, he was as happy that I had progressed. And, uh, so and in some ways, uh, it's true. Sometimes our wives are more ready than we are. Uh, when I first met Logan and Amelia, Logan was already in seminary preparing. And I got to know them. It didn't take me long to think, well, I, I really think Amelia could do this. I'm, I'm not sure yet if Logan can do this. But we believe it now. And he is, he is up to snuff now. And we're very glad both of them are here. And they will be a blessing to you. 604. Hymn 604. Yes. Well, I will make way to you, brother. Just before we sing then, please. Thank you. First of all, we, I would like to call... Mr. and Mrs. Logan up, we have a little present for you. Both of you, come, please. And this is from our congregation. This is for the pastor. And you can guess what it might be. <laughs> it's, it's quite weighty. <laughs> yes. And this is for his wife. And we do love you in the Lord. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but you remember. I told you, you told me. <laughs> you see? Yeah. Our wives are necessary. 604. 604. We'll sing. And then immediately following the clerk, uh, Dr. Pollock will come and close in prayer and give the benediction. 604. Let's stand together and sing all four verses, please. <laughs>
I'll give thanks at this time for the refreshments. Thank the ladies again for their work in that. Others as well, of course, preparing the various things. Uh, just before we close in prayer, I'd like to ask all the members of Presbyterian here to come to the front after we uh, close in prayer for a formal picture. Also, uh, Reverend Elder, if you can bring your wife and if Obadiah is about somewhere, come also with your mother as well and come and have a, a picture as well. And also the, the Walters and the Thomases, if they can come as well, please, for a picture before uh, the chaos ensues. Uh, that may follow that occasion. So please do that at the close of this prayer. Let's all pray. Eternal God and Father, we thank you for your great kindness. O oh Lord, you are abundant in loving kindness. We see it, of course, preeminently in the coming of Jesus Christ and the very love and kindness of God appeared. We thank you, Father, that we continue to enjoy that loving kindness and the blessings that Christ purchased are poured out Upon his people, for he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And we know that our brother can come and labor in that confidence. And we do pray, O oh God, bless this house and bless your servant. We pray, O oh God, you'd make him a blessing and use him richly in the extension of Christ's kingdom. Do bless his wife. Thank you for her. Remember, O oh Lord, them both in this time of challenge and opportunity may they know the peace of god and the grace of god and the power of god upon them and dear father we thank you for this congregation bless and guide them remember our brother walters or brother thomas give help the lord in session and committee uh, may this indeed be a place where prayer is want to be made a prayer a place where prayer is is really known and so give grace and help we thank you for the things prepared for us uh, may our fellowship indeed be sweet. May the good things be nourishment to our bodies. And so give us grace. May your blessing indeed rest and abide upon us, we ask, in Jesus' all-prevailing name. Amen and amen.